Hello and welcome to the Pastor Mark and Michelle Davenport Sunday Podcast. Today, Pastor Mark and Michelle Davenport would like to invite you to listen to Day 4 of the Converge Conference. Today, Pastors Mark and Michelle Davenport welcome evangelist Bill Wilson. Open up to the Gospel of John, if you will, please. John chapter number 20. Most preachers that will speak from this 20th chapter will use this as a foundation for an Easter message. And it's a good Easter message. It's, in essence, that, that first Easter, and uh, they can walk you through it. And I've heard a lot of guys from this 20th chapter speak on Easter. But I'm going to come at this from a different angle. I stumbled on this by accident. And after quite a bit of research, I feel like I wanted to bring this to you tonight as the closing message of Converge. I feel like this will speak for itself. That's, that's my prayer. So, Father, I pray in the few moments we have left, Lord, that you will open the eyes of our heart. Speak to us. Lord, give me a clear mind. Give me a clear word. That's my prayer tonight. Let us be open to what you would have us to do beyond what any of us could really think. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there was a working title for this message tonight, I guess it would have to be, What Do You See? Many of the messages that I preach, whether it's at home or out, wherever I am, usually it's me asking a question. And then together we try to, we try to answer it so that it makes sense and it becomes personal. That's, that's what I want to see happen here tonight. What do you see? I was preaching in central London it was a couple of years ago, and it was in the same auditorium where the old missionary Robert Moffat had preached a hundred years before. I was very conscious of where I was that night. And not that a building or anything has this magical anointing, but when, when you're aware of the people that have gone before you, there's, there's a gravity to that. And I knew because I had known something that happened in that auditorium, which made it a little more real for me. Let me tell you what happened. I did my history on it before I went to the church. Moffat had just come back from Africa. He was telling about some of his experiences. And he made one statement. He said, I was in Africa in one village over towards Congo. And he said, I saw the smoke of a thousand villages where the gospel had never been preached. Let me say it again. He saw the smoke from a thousand villages, gospel had never been preached. And right there in the upper right hand corner of the balcony, there was a young man, late 20s, when he heard that statement, the smoke from a thousand villages, something clicked. 
It's something else. You hit it with the words that we speak. Some of you, there's power in words, folks. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think, and I, I shouldn't have to say this, but maybe it needs to be said. I don't think we understand sometimes just a word in due season in someone's life. Just a simple thing. The man that picked me up off the street, he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, are you okay? 250,000 in Sunday school today because the ordinary Christian asked me the question, are you okay? He put something in motion. That day, the smoke from a thousand villages. Gospel had never been preached. The young guy in the balcony heard that and it clicked. Something connected. Now one statement. Moffat was at the back after the service. The young guy comes out of the balcony, meets Moffat at the back, said, Dr. Moffat, what do you need? You need support, you need help, you need somebody to go. Moffat said, I need someone to come help. And the young man, that night, look at me, that night said, all right, I, I can do that. Hmm. You know who the young man was? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. His name was David Livingston. Everybody in this room should know exactly who David Livingston is. We don't hear much about those folks anymore the David Livingstons, the Adoniram Judsons, the David Brainerds, the Hudson Taylors, the William Careys, and the list goes on and on of men and women that gave everything they had. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, I suppose you can Google it uh, and find out more about Livingston. But um, everybody said he was crazy. Because, see, that's what happens. When you do something unusual for God, already you're labeled as a nut. Because everybody wants you to be just like them. So when you're not like them, well, there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of layers that come into play right there. You talk about jealousy. You talk about anger. You talk about frustration. A lot of layers. So they... Told him he was crazy. He was going to die there. He did. They found him. His head was like this on a cot in a rainstorm. And two of Livingston's converts found him. They sent a wire back to London, to the denomination. He was part of a Baptist bunch. Said, uh, your man's dead. We'll bury him here. So the denomination sends a wire back. Says, No. He's, he's one of ours. We, we have to bury him back in London. See, that's how it works. When you're doing something for God, everybody thinks you're a nut. But when you die, they write books about you. They name schools after you. That's what we all have to look forward to. It's just a matter of time. And as sure as I'm standing here, when I'm dead, some idiot will put my name on a building. Somewhere. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So the converts sent a wire back. They said, we know he would want to be buried here. His heart was with us. 
wire comes back from London, said, you walk him to the coast at Mozambique. We're sending a ship to get him. We will bring him back. We'll bury him in Westminster Abbey with the royalty. That interesting. So the ship said it was about six, seven-week run. So the Africans were going to wrap him up in sheets. It's about 100 miles to the coast. But before they wrapped him up, they took a knife and cut his heart out of his body. They put it in a little metal box and locked it. And they wrapped him up, took him to the coast. So the boat gets him, takes him back. If you ever get to London, if you ever have a chance, there's really not much worth seeing in London. Food's horrible. People are arrogant. But if for by some reason you end up in London, go to Westminster Abbey. It's broken down into auditoriums. The one is called the Nave. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers is on that side. Some wannabe royalty is over there. But right there, dead center, five-foot diameter bronze tombstone. David Livingston's body is buried there. But if you ever get to Africa, mm -hmm, right on the Rwanda-Tanzania border, a little village called Bagamoyo, on the outskirts of the village, it's a tree, a little wooden sign nailed to the tree. It was still there last time I was there. The sign said, at the bottom of this tree is buried David Livingston's heart. His heart was always with us. Now it'll be with us forever. How did they know to bury his heart there? See, when you have that kind of heart, when you really care, when something connects with you rather than just superficially, you don't have to put anything on a business card. People just know it. They just know it. And it started where? In that auditorium I preached in, in central London, where Livingston heard the smoke from a thousand villages where the gospel had never been preached. In his mind, he saw something. He saw this, that Moffat was trying to communicate. He got it. So I ask you tonight, before you get out of here, you're going to have to answer a question. And that question is, what do you see? What do you see? Not the person next to you, but I'm going to make this, like they said in the praise and worship, we're going to make this real personal tonight. What do you see? And in this 20th chapter, it's quite interesting. This interesting group of people. Uh, Todd, give me, give me the next picture, if you will. I think we got a picture. Is it the lobster? Yeah, there it is. Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> Lobsters are interesting little crustaceans. What happens as they begin to grow and mature, their shell at about three months stops growing stops growing. Their body wants to continue to grow, but the shell ceases to expand. So their body is trying to grow, and it's becoming extremely uncomfortable. So the lobster, out of its uncomfortableness, is that a word? Uncomfortableness? It is tonight. 
Um, he goes to the bottom of the ocean, finds some rocks, cracks the shell open, comes out of the shell so he can grow a new shell to accommodate. Let me get a little spiritual here. So we can accommodate his destiny. Isn't that interesting? So my purpose here tonight is to make your life extremely uncomfortable in these next few moments. I'm very good at this. Mm -hmm. I'm very good. My whole purpose is to make this so uncomfortable that somebody here is going to have to crack open this proverbial Pentecostal shell that has stopped you from going where you could go where you want to go, where you'd like to go, where God has destined you to go, but the shell that has been carefully crafted and has held you hostage, that your uncomfortableness will overwhelm you to such an extent that you will do whatever it takes to crack that shell open. Anybody ready for that? Yeah? Five of you are. It's a good sign. It's very encouraging. See, because it's nice like this, folks, that separates the liars from the buyers. That's what these kind of nights do. You want to converge? Yeah, converge this, okay? You want to converge? We're going to talk about converge. Because if you don't want this, take your dumb converge shirt off and say, I ain't converging. I get it. It isn't enough to wear the shirt, folks. Somebody has got to be uncomfortable enough to say, I'm going to crack out of the mindset, that thing that has held me, because it's time, folks. It, it, it's just time. It's just time. We are moving into what is probably going to shake out to become historically the most important election in my lifetime. Most important election. I trust every one of you will vote, that can vote. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. This is why I always ask for a handheld mic, because I'm free to walk out and smack somebody if they need that. I did it once in Pennsylvania. I was self-defense. It was totally self-defense. This is the most critical election for the history of our country. In my lifetime, things are changing, folks. We're on a precipice in the church, in politics, in a culture. We're in a culture war, and we all know that. So, lobsters here? Anybody feel a little uncomfortable? I'm going to ratchet it up in a few minutes. You'll be more uncomfortable in just a few. Take that down, Todd. Enough of the lobster. Mm -hmm. What do you see? Let's go, let's go to the, the tomb. Let's go to the tomb. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. Three of Jesus' closest friends come to the tomb. This is the first Easter. So understand the chronology behind this and the importance of what you're going to see and hear in the next few minutes. All three of these, Mary, Peter, John, they knew the man personally. Not secondhand. They didn't read the book. They didn't read the Dead Sea Scrolls 
after the fact. They knew the man. They knew the man. They heard the message. They saw the miracles. I don't know if you have ever witnessed a real miracle like first person that you've seen. I shared with the folks this morning when I was blind in this eye after I got hit with a brick in Brooklyn. I've prayed. I've prayed for a couple of blind people. They are instantly healed. I don't talk about this much, but I think I can talk about it with you guys because I think it's, I think you'll get this. Uh, I don't talk about that on TV. I've prayed for a couple of deaf people, instantly healed. I prayed for a couple of dumb staff members. They were not healed. <laughs> not healed. Two out of three, it's not, not that bad. Now, I don't talk about that on TV, and you know why. Because if I did, I would be labeled as a faith preacher. No, I'm a Sunday school bus driver. That's what I do. I drive a bus in New York to pick up kids. See, usually when people get an earned PhD, not the kind you can buy online, but the earned ones, you know, you know they'll frame that sucker and they'll put it in their office. So when I got my PhD from the University of Wales, I framed it. But if you ever come visit me, you'll see where it is. It is put in my bus. It's hanging in my Sunday school bus. Just to prove to people, you can be somewhat intelligent and still drive a bus to pick up poor kids to bring them to Sunday school. To te- oh, you better give God a praise to teach them about Jesus. Not putting it in my office. It's hanging in my bus. Mm-hmm. As it should be. So, you ever see a real miracle? If you have not, I pray that you will. Pray that you will before you finish this life. Because if that happens to you and you witness it, you want to talk about a faith builder? Mm-hmm. It's just, boom. You know what I'm talking about. You guys know. Yeah. It just happens. So when I was blind in this eye, I was healed. I told a story this morning. I'm not going to go into the details again. But I was getting ready to quit. It's close as I've come to quitting the ministry. I don't like quitters. I wouldn't give you a dime for a quitter. If you're going to quit, don't start. If you're going to quit, you didn't want it bad enough in the first place. Because if you wanted it bad enough, you wouldn't have quit. Mm-hmm. See, your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. But Pentecostal people live on emotion. It's all about how do you feel. I don't feel like it. Shut up. Nobody cares how you feel. Ain't nobody asking you. And even if you how you doing? You ever notice it? People ask, how you doing? Then they walk away. <laughs> because the reality is, they really don't care. But the end of this is, how, how strong is your commitment? Does it supersede your emotion? People that make decisions based on how they feel will make a mistake every time. Because emotions come and go. You know, you know what day of the week most preachers quit the ministry? Monday. Because we hate all of you on Monday. We hate all y'all. Let me get in touch with my southern side. All y'all. <laughs> we, hate, we hate all y'all. Because somebody acted stupid, said something stupid. Somebody slipped a note that they didn't sign. Uh-huh. 
If you're not going to sign a note, don't send it. Man, I'm getting mad now. <laughs> I just had to catch myself right there. Mm -hmm. See, this 50 years talking. Mm -hmm. You okay? Everybody good? Lobsters? Some of you are kind of... <laughs> you're going to be looking for a rock here in a few minutes. Lord healed me. In a three-hour time span, in the middle of the night, I was healed. Couldn't see fine. 2020, at 72 years old, 2020, out of both eyes. Now, see, that, that's a faith builder, but it's also a builder of a commitment. That's why I have, I have no problem, no fear of laying hands on anybody in the name of Jesus and believing for the miraculous. Some of you go, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I get it. Some of you aren't. And, and some things happen. You know, I, a lot of things I do in ministry, I have to check with my parole officer first. Um, some of you aren't real sure what I just said right there. I, I, was, just, I was just working on that one. I'm just practicing that one. And you got Mary... You got Peter, you got John. They knew the man. They heard his message. They saw the miracles. They heard him say. They heard him say. Mm -hmm. He was going to die. Three days, he'd rise. So they've already been kind of primed. Get, get, get that thing and bring it down here. All right? I want to get in somebody's face. I may be six, six feet from you. Don't drop my stuff off of there. I may not be six feet from you, but at this point, I don't care. Thank you. You all right? Thank you, sir. I get tested once a week. I'm good. I'm clear. So don't get panicky. All right? He said, I'm going to go, but I'll return. He laid it out. So now you've got three of his closest friends standing at the tomb. Now follow me. Standing at the tomb, they look in. And here's the existential question. What do you see, Mary? What do you see, Peter? John, how about you, the worshiper? What do you see? See, you can't avoid this question, guys. As much as you may want to, as much as you'd like to ignore it, I'm not going to let your lobster self. Ignore this. I'm going to poke you till you get this tonight. What do you see? Now watch this. See what? That then give me give, give me another one, Todd. Give, what what did what did the man who picked me up to, off the street see? That's the guy. That was two Christmases ago. He just turned ninety. Um. Yeah. He doesn't talk anymore. See, every Christmas Eve, I go to the corner where my mother left me. I sit there all night, just talking to people, praying for people, calling and wishing them Merry Christmas. I'll call you guys this year. I'll call you, check up on you. I sit there all night. Been criticized, mostly by Christians, of course. Mm -hmm. Why do you do that? Why do you sit there? Why do you do that? And you just... Do that, slap you in the head. 
You guys know why I do that. See, let me tell you why I do that. Because I never want to forget where I came from. There's a lot of people that forget where they used to. I was the kid that lived in the broom closet at the First Assembly of God Church in St. Petersburg, Florida, after my mother left. I lived in that closet for three years. I, you know why I was able to eat with those kids off the floor? Because I'd already been there, because I ate off the floor every night when the different church members brought me their leftovers every night. I told them this morning, I'll tell you tonight, my whole life has been prep, folks, for where I am now. When they dropped me out of a helicopter in the Congo, I said, are you going to be okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just make sure I got a compass. I know where I'm headed. I'm good. Well, I got my throat cut in Yemen in January, just before this COVID thing hit. Gal opened me up with a box cutter. I had to had to take did a what they call a flip stitch. I had to super glue my face together to stop the bleeding. I'm good. See, it's all been prepped now. So Christmas Eve, I sit on the corner. Christmas Day, I sit with Dave. He's in a nursing home. He, he got kicked out of one a couple months ago. He, he smacked somebody. It's, just, it's great. It's kind of a funny story. So I had to go smooth it over and get, get him sorted out. Yeah. But all day Christmas Day, we just sit. We sit on a bench outside the nursing home. He can't talk. He doesn't need to talk. He just knows I'm there. See, there was a time when he had to take care of me. Now, I get to take care of him, and it's my joy to take care of him. Take the picture down, Todd, if you will, please. Thank you. What do you see when you see this? I don't show this everywhere I go because a lot of people wouldn't get it anyway. It'd be meaningless. But I wanted you guys to see this tonight. Because when I keep pushing you on what do you see tonight, I need this to be personal. This has got to be personal. So let's take a look at this. Look at verse 1, the 20th chapter. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes in. It was dark. She comes to the sepulcher. She saw the stone was taken away. Hmm. So Mary comes. She's the one that shows up first. She sees the stone is moved. She sees the stone was moved away from the sepulcher. And when we look at that word, depending on what translation, if you've got a good translation, if you've got one of the bogus ones, I don't know what to tell you. But it's either see, see, seeth, saw. She sees the stone was moved. That word see there in the first verse in the Greek is the Greek word blepo. B-L-E-P-O, blepo. Now I'm not going to try not to do a lot of Greek with you tonight, but I think this will make sense if you kind of follow me along. What does blepo mean? when it's transliterated into English. Here's what she does. She looks into the tomb. Oh, stone's moved. Oh, tomb's empty. Oh, blepo. 
You know what blepo means? It means she sees it, but she doesn't understand what she's looking at. And she wasn't even from Georgia. <laughs> but she still didn't get it. She looks in and goes, oh, stones moved. Oh, it's empty. Oh, but she couldn't put it together. She couldn't put the pieces of the story together. So I'm asking you, does that make any sense to you? Because it really makes zero sense to me. She knew the man. She heard the message. She saw the miracles. And now she's looking at what you and I would call a fulfilled prophecy. Correct? Because Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do. She's looking at a fulfilled prophecy, and she doesn't get it. So if you say, well, if I was there when Jesus was alive, shut up. Because you wouldn't get it either, probably. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for all of you that think you're that spiritual, all that, and a bag of chips, yeah, well, you better think about it, Mr. and Miss Converge. Uh-huh. You better think this thing through, Bubba and Bubbettes. You need to walk this thing through. She looks and sees exactly what Jesus said would happen, but she can't get it. Why? Because she only saw with her eyes. Blepo. She just saw with her eyes. It had no other meaning, direction, except she just saw the obvious, and it just didn't connect. So I'm going to keep asking you till you answer it. What do you see tonight? Todd, give me another shot. What, what's the next one? What's the next one? We go. Oh, yeah. This is in Kenya. This little boy's name is Jason. And uh, I was there talking with some pastors, and we just got the clearance from the president of the country to start Metro Sunday School there. That's what kind of put this whole thing in motion when we got started. And the dad, wearing the New Zealand shirt, had heard I was in town, brought the boy to me, and said, Pastor, can you pray for my son? I said, of course. And what happens here, these tumors that you're looking at here are quite common because when these kids, from the time they're born, they're drinking contaminated water. So I don't know how many of you have ever had parasites or worms, but if you have, you will understand what I'm saying. These parasites will grow and grow. We had one kid, this was just, this was in Brazil not too long ago. And one of our guys was feeding, trying to feed a kid, uh, just a typical meal. And the kid was, oh, oh, looked like he was going to throw up. And our guys didn't know what was going on. And I said, okay, back it up a little bit, back it up. And just had the food. And, and because this kid, his stomach was full of worms, and the worms were coming out of his mouth to get to the food. It's not a game tonight, folks. This is, this is not another service. You know that now. This is real life. And when you watch this and you understand what you're seeing, the question begs to be answered, what do you see? Does it connect? When Livingston saw through his mind's eye the smoke from a thousand villages where the gospel had never been preached, something happened. I saw this kid. I know what happens with these kids. 
He's already lost one eye. Father said, can you pray for him? He said, quick, give me another one, Todd. You got another picture there? I prayed for the boy, and there were some other preachers there in the meeting. And I thought, I should not have thought this because I should have known better. But I thought, let's get all the preachers to come up and lay hands on the boy. Now, I know better than this, but I got the spirit of stupidity, and it just came over me. So I could preachers come up. Not one of them would come up and lay hands on the boy. They didn't want to touch the tumor. They saw it. Nope. Give me another picture, Todd. We got one more there? Yeah. I'm not real good at hiding my feelings, but I think you already know that. I was so mad. I was so angry at those, at those preachers. And that little boy was sitting there waiting, waiting. Somebody. What do you see, guys? What do you see? What do you see, Mary? You knew the man. You heard the message. You saw people raised from the dead. You witnessed the miraculous. And now you're looking in an empty tomb. She doesn't get it, does she? No. Blippo, take the picture down, Todd, if you will, please. But, but then, let's, let's go down. Let's go to verse 6. Let's go to verse 6. Hmm. Peter shows up. He goes into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes, the empty grave clothes. It's the same word in the English translation as it is when Mary looked in in verse 1. Same thing. See, saw, whatever word you're looking at there. Same word. When Mary looks in, it's the Greek word blepo. When Peter looks in, you're reading the same word, but it's not the same word in the Greek. In the Greek, saw here is the Greek word theorio, which is actually where we get the English word theory. Watch this. Peter looks in. Oh, tomb's empty. Grave clothes empty. He's gone. And he saw the empty grave clothes. He saw the tomb was empty, but it's the word theorio. What does that mean? It means he's trying to figure out what he's looking at. He's trying to build, what's the word I can use? A hypothesis of some sort. Is he alive or not? Did he rise or didn't he? He said he was going to. I don't know. I want to believe it, but I'm not convinced. I feel like he did. I saw the miracles, but I'm not. Are you kidding me? What do you see, Peter? Huh. This is the same guy that walked on water. And what do you think exactly? What do you think is going to crack you out of your shell? Because you may want to tell me right now what it's going to take to do that. When you've got Mary sees with her eyes, and now Peter is seeing this with his what? With his mind. Yeah, he is from Georgia. Mm -hmm. I can't prove that scripturally, but I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you see, Mary? Blepo. Sees with her eyes. Oh, just, oh, tomb's empty. Oh, Stone's moved. Oh, he's, he's not here. Oh, I don't understand what I'm looking at. What about you, Peter? 
If anybody should get this, if anybody should get this, or am I stretching this too much? I don't think so. I don't think I'm stretching it. If anybody should have understood what he was looking at, it should have been Peter. He should have got this. He didn't. He's still trying to process. So I ask you again, what do you see? What do you see when you see some of these pictures, like guys like, little kids like Jason? The ordinary man, guy that picked me up off the tree. What do you see? It's just another picture because we're, we're so visually oriented today anyway. You know, the TikTok pinheads owned by Russia. If you use TikTok, I'd shoot you myself. What's wrong with you? It's unbelievable. What do you see? You tell me. What do you see? I don't know. Todd, you got another picture? Maybe this will, what? Let's see what, no. I think it was the one before that. We may have missed one there. I think we might have missed one. That's all right. We started this Sunday school. You can take that down, Todd. That's not the one I was looking for. But I found a little boy, little Indonesian baby. It, oh, I can't see. He Turn it on, turn it off. Uh, nope, that's not it. Take it off. We'll get to that one in a minute. I just found a little dead baby in the water in downtown Jakarta. And I took the picture myself because I just wanted people to see it. Because there are other people walking by, looking at it, and they just kept walking. I never found out if somebody killed a kid and threw him in the water, or if he died and somebody just threw him, I never found out. But the question keeps coming up. Question keeps coming up. What do you see? What do you see? Mary looks in, blepo. Peter looks in, it's the Rio. But now, let's go to verse 8, and we got to go. Looks in. Verse 8, John looks in, the other disciple. He looks in, and he saw. Same word in the English as was with Mary, as was with Peter, but it's a different Greek word again. So this is what sometimes we miss, what's really being said here. Instead of Greek word. This is the Greek word ido, E-I-D-O. Oh, it's a silent E in the Greek, Ido. You know what Ido means? The transliteration here is perfect. It hits it right. What does it say? In the B part of the eighth verse, he saw and believed. Boom, boom. He saw and believed. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to go to a conference. He didn't have to go figure it out. He didn't even have to ask for advice. He looked. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's alive. He's alive. And may, I always, I get frustrated with myself sometimes because I don't ever think I do texts like this justice as hard as I try, as much as I pray about this because what you are seeing this tonight, folks, this is the crux of how you will look at the rest of your life. Right here, right now. And not just your life, but a lot of other people's lives, if this connects with you. Mary should have understood. She didn't. Peter should have got it. 
He missed it. He's trying to figure it out. But John looks in. He saw. And that's why the brevity of the B part of the text. He looks in. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. He didn't meditate. He didn't look at it. He didn't ask for advice. He didn't do a DNA test. Oh, he's alive. Isn't that interesting? How some people... They see it. It's something that I've said for years. The need is the call. You see a need, and you can fulfill that today. That's the call of God for you today. The saddest thing is finding old Christians that had a chance to do something with their life, to make a difference, but they waited, they waited, they were waiting for, go to Africa. I was raised in that, folks. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The man that saw me, mm. there was no audible voice involved. There was no burning bush involved. Nobody got knocked off a donkey by a bright light. If I thought knocking somebody off a donkey would help you, I would have rented a donkey tonight, brought it in here, put somebody on... <laughs> just to see if I could get some sort of extra canonical revelation. I think I'm smarter than that, I hope. John looks in, see? See, people can say what you want, and I touched on it this morning a little bit. People can, can, can say that's not real, or we don't believe that, and, but you know, see, that's why I love the old church songs. The new songs, they're fine. Most of them were written by pinheads that are trying to get a record contract in Nashville. And I get that. I know how that game plays. But I like the old songs that were written by people that went through some life, that went through pain. Yeah. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the joy we shared as we tarried there, none other has ever known. You don't hear songs like that anymore. You don't hear songs like that. No. When people ask you, people ask me, why, why do I still do this at 72? Why? I'm going to Lagos, Nigeria. I'm going, we just got an invitation to start Sunday school on the Gaza Strip by the Israeli government. Not a lot of people get invites to start Sunday school on the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. We're starting in Afghanistan. I've already trained the people there. We're starting Sunday school in February in Kabul. Please send me to the worst place. Send me to the hardest place. Send me where all the other folks don't want to go. Yeah. Yep. And so when you look at a guy like John, and when I look at people like you, I see the potential sitting in this room. And maybe I just see it differently now because I'm older. Because I, I, I wish I could have some of you older folks that feel like your life is, you know, you kind of lived it. And you're, I wish you would come and work with me in New York. Come, come stay with us. I got something for you to do. We used to have old people go in and just hold the AIDS babies in the hospital because nobody else wants to hold them. Yeah. 
You want to go do something? There's something for you to do. Some of you young people, you're wondering what to do. You got a picture of, of Beyonce on your wall? I'll slap you silly. And it won't even be in Jesus' name. I'll just slap you just because you need to be slapped. There's some, see, what, what, do you, what do you see? What do you see, Mary? Blepo. How about you, Peter? What do you see? Saw, saw this man. He's trying. He was trying. He's trying to put the pieces together. And then John looks. He saw Ido. Ido. And it, it's, it hits it. You know what Ido means? Exactly that. He saw and believed. What did he see with? He saw with his heart. Yeah. The old song. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You young people don't know this. Shame on you. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within You get it now? You get it? One out of three. Got it. The other two should have got it. Should have figured it out. Didn't. But every once in a while, you find somebody. See, nobody can take that testimony. I said that this morning. Nobody can take that testimony from you. People can say what they want to me, and I can argue homiletics, hermeneutics, apologetics, ecclesiology, eschatology, all that, and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee. But when you understand what he did in your heart, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can argue that. You don't have to know apologetics to make that argument. And when I, we were in during this COVID thing, we were right close to a, a main COVID hospital. Give me that next picture, Todd. I think we got a couple of those. Yeah. And they, uh, there were so many people that had died. And they were just putting them in these orange body bags and uh, just lining them up in the hospital. Get another one, Todd. What's the next one we get? And they, they brought in refrigerator trucks, 40-foot semi-refrigerator trucks. There was not enough room to keep the dead people in the hospital. They had the trucks lined up outside the hospital, and they were just putting the dead bodies in there. And I would go there at night. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I was doing it probably as much for myself as anybody else. Because it's hard for me to just stand around and see things. Even if I know I can't do anything, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And I would go there at night and stand outside these refrigerator trucks. And people, people would line up. They'd be on their face. They'd be kneeling. They'd be crying outside these trucks. Because you guys, I know you saw this, is if your relatives are there in the hospital, nobody could go in those hospitals. Even when they're dying, they wouldn't let anybody in. You guys know how this goes. 
And so the people would die. They'd be putting their refrigerator trucks, and the relatives would be outside the trucks. It'll, it'll rip your guts out, man. And I would just go there and just talk with people a little bit. And I remember this one night. Get, get another one, Todd. I don't know what other pictures that we had. Yeah, I was standing outside one of the trucks there at Wyckoff Hospital. And uh, there was this older man, maybe not, not as old as me, but he's, he's kneeling on the sidewalk, just crying, I love you, I love you. And I thought, and I just went over and I sat on the sidewalk next to him. I said, sir, please tell me. He said, my wife died, and she's in there. She's in the bag, in that truck. They won't let me tell her. They wouldn't let me even before she died to tell her I love her. He said, I'll never get the chance to tell her. I said, are you a Christian, sir? He looked at me. He said, she was, but I'm not. I'm not. I said, would you like to be? He said, I don't know. He said, my heart's just breaking. I said, I understand. I get it. And we talked. We talked. And I walked him through the Romans road, led him to the Lord. And we prayed on the sidewalk. He said, will you please tell her when you get to heaven that I loved her? I said, well, you know now. You can do it yourself. Because one day, you'll get a chance to see her again by the grace of God. And I was standing outside those trucks at night, watching them load the body bags in. And you experience every kind of emotion. I'll tell you this, and then we'll get out of here. Take that down, Todd, if you will. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I got shot in cereal. I guess it was, was it two years ago. Now, Angie, right? Yeah. I got shot in the back by a Russian sniper. I had my vest on. It was a 308 sniper round, and the vest caught it here, but it, uh, it knocked me into a pile of rocks, fractured my skull, skull busted, busted a couple of ribs. Uh, I've had five concussions now. So the doctor said, how you feeling? I said, do you remember anything? I said, I've had five concussions. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm surprised I'm even doing as well as I am tonight. If I am. Uh, I don't even know that. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for the encouragement. Um, and so they drug me into the it was a bunker, and the Israelis came, and uh, they found the sniper nest because we were right between an ISIS camp, a Russian camp, and it's where Bashad was running barrel bomb runs about 20 clicks north of where our camp was. And so we were there to do Sunday school, and we were there to do medical. It's like I was telling you, I'm involved now more and more on the medical side. And so every day... We would have people that would, there were a truckload of people would be dropped off at our camp. And we had our doctors and working and stuff. And then we had the kids. We had interpreters and teaching them about Jesus. And, and it was, what, sec, sec, 
must have been the third afternoon. And I saw this lady coming up the ramp towards the entrance of the camp, and she was holding a boy, and she was struggling, and I, I yelled at the guy at the gate. I said, open it up. We have no security. I said, I'm the security. Open it up. And we got open. I grabbed the interpreter, and we ran down the ramp, and she had collapsed. She dropped the boy. We picked her up, and I picked up the boy, and she kept looking at me, saying something I didn't understand. So I had the interpreter said, tell me. And she kept saying to me, can you help my boy? Can you help my boy? And I said, ask her what's wrong. And I noticed that his right hand was wrapped in some kind of a bandage thing. I asked her what's wrong. So she unwraps the bandage and what had happened in one of the barrel bomb runs, a piece of shrapnel had cut his hand off right at the wrist. And she had tried to put a tourniquet on it. And she had just wrapped it up. But this had happened almost two weeks ago. Exactly. And I'm looking at this. And I'm looking at her. And I know this ain't going to make sense to some of you. But maybe someday. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I, I can't help him. You know why I'm getting into medical now? Because I'm tired of telling people I can't help you. I'm tired. So I'm going to figure out how I can help you. Can't do everything. But I can do something. The man that sent me to that Sunday school camp, he didn't buy me new clothes. He didn't pay my way to college. He sponsored me to go to a camp where not one Pentecostal Christian would pray for me because I stuttered, I was dirty, and I was sick. And not one would pray for me at the altar. So I prayed myself. And fortunately, the Lord heard me by myself. And she said, please help him. And he's crying, and I'm looking at him, and he's just looking at me. And I said, ma'am, I can't help you. And then, and then, she reaches into a paper bag and pulls out the boy's hand. She found it in the rubble. She's holding the kid's hand, gangrene. And I took the hand. I said, I cannot help you. I want to, but I cannot. And I watched her take the boy from me. And I watched her walk back down the ramp. She was gone. Why am I telling you this? I'll tell you exactly why I'm telling you this. I'll tell you why. When it's in your heart, folks, you can't walk away. I wanted to. There's times I've walked away. When our first Sunday school teacher was gang raped on top of one of those project buildings and the elevator was broke, she was ripped to pieces on that roof. I had to carry her down 15 flights of stairs. We're both covered with blood. You want to walk away? Yeah, I get it. 
I get it. When one of our staff members was found dead in the gym behind the church on Sunday morning, still listed as an unsolved homicide. We shut down a drug house across the street from the church. One of the guys tried to come at me with an ax. He couldn't get me, so we got one of our guys. You want to talk about walking away? I can talk about that all night with you if you want. And then the thing with my eye, it's all designed, folks, to get you to quit. Because if you quit, the devil wins and the game's over. That's what it's designed to do. But see when it's in your heart. I talk about the shepherd's heart. I talk about real heart. I talk about Livingston's heart. But when it's in your heart, you don't go. You don't. This is going to sound a bit dramatic. I don't say it for that reason. But some of you know me a little now, so maybe it'll make sense. That's why I have nothing put away for retirement. Drives people crazy. I have nothing put away. I live at the church. You know, I've lived at the church since I was 12 years old. I still live at the church. I don't know what that says about me, but I just, I still live at the church. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I'm good with it. I have nothing put away. You know why? Because, see, I will not ever retire. I will die doing this. You'll hear about it. You will. I get that. And that's okay. But when it's here, why do you think John was the worshiper? He worshiped. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives in my heart. From the time I was a little boy and I asked him to come into my life, something was put into motion in that little sickly boy's life. And now I'm in front of you tonight asking you that question. What do you see? What do you see, Mary? Didn't work, did it? How about you, Peter? You tried. John, what do you see? Oh, that's easy. He's alive. He's alive. I never had a doubt. I never had a question. He's alive because he lives in my heart. So, yeah. It's just another Sunday night, isn't it? Yep. So what do you see? You know what's out there, folks. You know what's out there. You know the needs. So what do you see? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I ask you, Lord, in the quietness of the moment, the quietness, Lord, somehow, some way, that, Lord, we look back through these three people that should have known, that should have understood what they were looking at, what they saw. For some reason, two of them didn't. One of them did. And now here we are.
Here we are. Sunday night. And maybe we are so caught up in fear of stuff that we don't understand. I think Michelle's right. The fear, the uncertainty. And we wonder, can we really do something? Or is my time passed? I said it this morning, but I'll say it here. I'm more excited about what God's doing and what I'm going to be able to see happen by the power of the Holy Spirit in this next year, in the next two years than I've ever been at 72 years old. It's not over yet. And it's not over for you. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's been given to you. So my prayer for all of you is simple. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray with you. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And when we do, I've asked him to play Open the Eyes of My Heart. Because to me, that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Open the eyes of our heart. And if that's your prayer tonight, when we sing it, I just ask you to stand. And I'd like to pray for you. What does that mean to you? I don't know what it's going to mean to you. Maybe, maybe you'll go on a trip and you'll see a little boy. tonight is, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what you want me to see. If that's your prayer, when we sing, you just stand quietly. And if it's not where you're at, I respect that. I get it. So then don't stand. Don't do the church thing and just stand because that's the thing we like to do so we don't look bad. Come on, folks. Those days are over. We're past all that. But if the Holy Ghost is speaking to your heart and you can say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see it. When we sing it, you stand, we'll pray. I'll be done. He saw and he believed. Thank you for listening to today's Sunday podcast. If you'd like to keep up with the latest podcast, please subscribe to the Pastor Mark and Michelle Davenport podcast in Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. If you'd like more information about City Light Church, 
please visit citylightchurch.net. Or if you'd like more information about Griffin Centerpoint Church, please visit gcpcog.com.